0: No matter what life, no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens in our country, no matter what happens at all, may you be the rock upon which we can build our foundation, that you can build in us upon that foundation. May faith be the mark of the people who believe in you, not worry or anxiety or getting caught up in the affairs of the world, although being concerned and active is still good may we be your people living out the faith living out the life of the living cornerstone Jesus Christ that the world may know through us through your church through your kingdom who you are and what you are and what you're about may the words that are about to follow be glorifying to you and true speak through me or in spite of me if need be and be what the people here and listening need them to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have been in Haggai for the last four weeks, for well, the last three weeks, and this is the fourth one, looking at... Uh, temple matters, as I've called it, but it hasn't just been, obviously, things about the temple, and today will be very much the reigning of everything in, uh, and hopefully something that you can very much take away from here, if you haven't had that already, uh, and use today and tomorrow and the next day from the book of Haggai. I was uh, happy to see last week that there was a good portion of people who had not heard Sirius from Haggai, and uh, it's one of my... I actually have a chart uh, of places i preach from from the bible and it's actually where however long uh you can stand me here i hope to get through uh at least every book and my goal is like every chapter that i preach from uh so if you want to start keeping track on that too uh we'll see how long it takes (laughs) But Haggai has been beneficial, I pray for you, and it's been beneficial even for me to study as there have been some things that have been uh, impactful in my life very much so uh, and that have been good reminders and good convictions even for me. And obviously the mark uh, of a preacher is that I get to preach to myself first and go, well, shoot, I need that. Hopefully someone else does. Hopefully that's the case. We've been talking about temple space, from the very beginning of Haggai, the fact that God's space and human space interlocks, overlaps, and intersects at these places called temples. This was the case in the Garden of Eden. This was the case at Jacob's Ladder. This was the case at uh, the Temple of Jerusalem. And this is the case, as we've talked about, in Jesus Christ and now in every believer and of the church, the space where heaven and earth, God's space and human space overlaps and interlocks. We've also been talking about the fact that Haggai is based on The fact that people who were coming back from Babylon, from captivity, started the temple, and we'll get into that a little bit, but they stopped and started working on their own houses, and so by doing that, they were neglecting not only the temple as a building, not only the temple as a place of worship, but the temple being the very center of everything, the very center of life. If you were a Jew, if you were a Hebrew, the temple represented holiness in every aspect of life, in every aspect of life, the fact that holiness is necessary. Well, we talked about the fact that last week, that impurity, unfortunately, sometimes is a bit more contagious rather than holiness. Holiness can be, but it's not the default of humans, it seems. We see this um, from Genesis chapter 3 on, just about, all the way through Revelation, pretty much holiness needs to be intentional. We talked last week about the fact that Haggai challenged the priest saying, you know, if you come near, um, if you have something in your pocket and you come near something, is it automatically clean? Well, no, but if you're uh, unclean from a dead body and you go near it, what will happen? It'll become unclean too. And the warning from Haggai last week was, so will everything that the people of God build. We talked last week about having the right attitude and the fact that." There is a difference between God-glorifying obedience and God-appeasing compliance. This is building on the fact of the change of expectations from the fact that the people who saw Solomon's temple versus this temple, it wasn't the same. And God says, no, it's okay. We know, be encouraged because I am working in your midst from the fact that they started building the temple at all the whole book of Haggai has been about choices, and I put this picture up because not only do all of us have a choice whether to throw our dirty laundry at, near, or in the hamper, particularly if you are of a younger age. Uh, I'm speaking of, well, me, but I'm also speaking of of certain boys and and such. Um, you know, Amy, Amy has, Amy is is. The best mom I have ever seen, just about. And she has done an amazing job of raising boys uh, for which she was not prepared. <laughs> and the other week, we were having a conversation. We were talking about laundry. And uh, I can't help but notice the McPartland boys. And so we'll see if, uh, if I get any amens from this. I was explaining to her, she was asking... Uh, that one of the boys had tried to, I'm sorry if I messed this up, I can't remember if it was a shirt or indeed if it was a pair of underwear that they wanted to wear for an extended length of time. And the rationale was that it was on the floor, not in the hamper, so therefore it was not dirty. So Amy was trying to explain, no, 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 if you have worn it, it's dirty to which the boys protested, and she asked me how I would, what I would teach. Ryan, well, what's your first response? Is it dirty? You just say that because your wife's sitting right next to you. Smart man. I had to admit that, uh, well, the sniff test comes into it, <laughs> to which I got a look of incredulity. And so I explained the concept of, well, it may not necessarily be dirty, just because it's been worn. And and then I saw Amy's face, and then I said, but you're absolutely right, we should teach them that it's dirty. <laughs> and maybe I should follow her advice more, too, but that's a whole other story. We all have choices, and some of them are a bit more obvious. Whether to uh, re-wear something, whether to put it in the hamper or not. The hamper is... Uh, You know, it's a place of contention among married folk. It's like stuff gets close but not in, with kids, everything. I say this because this is one of the more visceral examples. I also did a whole lot of laundry yesterday, so I I was head deep in it as well, so this was reminding. But simple choices that we face every day, not just laundry, but what to have for breakfast, how to come to work if there's a different route, where to sit at church, especially now. We all have choices, that impact what happens in our day. Some of them are less consequential. Some of them are more. And where I want to sum up Haggai, especially in this day and age, especially in this time, is that the main thing I want you to take away from Haggai, at least from this sermon series, and there's always multiple ways of, of applying scripture, is that Haggai at its core is a book of choices. I want to talk to you today uh, in the fact that from the choices that Haggai and the people faced, we can definitely learn and take away some things. There are some things, though, I wanted to uh, get out there just as a way of summing up some of the book that I didn't talk about at first. Uh, Haggai prophesied in four prophecies, and the whole book takes place over only four months. In fact, the last two prophecies take place on the same day, It's a two prophecy kind of day uh, in chapter, in the latter half of chapter two, and so this is fairly quick and fairly uh, bam, bam, bam as far as uh, prophecy go. It was all prophesied in 520 B.C. Now, for those of you who know your history, the Jews came back from Babylon about 536 B.C., or at least that was when Cyrus decreed that they were able to go back. And what the Jews did is that they started work on the temple immediately, but stalled about 534. They stalled their work and became more concerned about their houses, about their community. And so this is 14 years after the temple was started and stopped that Haggai has come and basically tried to kick Israel into high gear. Haggai prophesied in 520, it would take another five years before the second temple was complete. And so none of this happened right away per se, but this is roughly where it is. Haggai uh, along with Zechariah, or yes, Zechariah and Malachi are the three post-exilic prophets. Everyone else is before, um, and they are more or less contemporaries. So this is where we find ourselves. And so, right away, obviously, you see some of the choices. Just history tells us: start, stop. What to focus on, and we address that in Haggai chapter one. Three things I want to focus on today. Come, and summed up in chapter two, as Casey already read. And I want to just go through it one more time and point out just one or two quick things before I move into uh, the bigger picture. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and earth. One thing I want you to notice here as we read this look at all the I statements. I am about to shake the heavens and earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down. Every one by that day, by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant. The son of Shealtar declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. A couple things to notice about this is that the Lord ends Haggai with some very powerful statements about his sovereignty and about his purpose and about his overall view of the people to whom he's speaking. He's saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and earth overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations overthrow the church of the riders. What is he saying here? He's saying that the other powers and principalities of the world who believe they have power, they do not. This is a constant theme throughout scripture that the powers and principalities and authorities who believe they're in charge of things, who believe that they are ultimate, and Nebuchadnezzar and the whole animal thing come to mind, and Daniel, really don't. And it's always the Lord who gives and takes away. It's always the Lord who empowers nations or not. And so the first thing that we notice here is that Haggai ends with the sovereignty of God. Which is an appropriate way to end. Not only in the sovereignty of God, but what does he declare? I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord. Now, why is this important? Well, back in Second Samuel 7, and I don't have a slide for this, the Lord promised David that he would make a house for him that would impact, and I'm paraphrasing obviously the Thomas Revised Version, That will impact the whole world, just as Abraham would impact the entire, all of the nations and all the descendants, so Abraham's house that God would build for him would indeed be the house of all nations. Zerubbabel is a descendant of David. That's important to keep in mind. And so there's something that the Lord is promising through Zerubbabel, the signet ring the third thing I want to comment on just really quickly the signet ring was a sign of authority and power, it was a thing that uh, kings and rulers would press on the seal of an envelope or a decree to make it official and so whatever God and his sovereignty is promising through the Zerubbabel he gives with authority and power and in essence signs off on the mission and that's where the book of Haggai ends So we have quick prophecies. We have people rebuilding the temple. We have people who have been convicted of neglecting their first priority, being disappointed in what they're doing, reminded that obedience is key and the promise that a sovereign God will use the leader in their midst and give them power and authority to do something like a signet ring in the world. And that's where the book ends. The implicit question that I hope you can see is what will Zerubbabel and the people of Israel decide to do in essence what choice will they make I want to sum up Haggai this morning with three points I don't do a lot of three points in here so you know, for those of you who enjoy this here you go I might do it more three points this morning whose choices matter, why our choices matter, and what motivates those choices. The book of Haggai summed up in whose choices matter, why our choices matter, and what motivates those choices. Well, let's go back real quickly to the text once again. I already have talked about it. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. We already talked about the fact that Zerubbabel is a descendant of David and if you're curious about the lineage here he is right there he's on uh, David not through Solomon's line but by Nathan's line this is actually the genealogy in Luke chapter 3 if uh, you remember that. Zerubbabel is right here son of Shealtiel, direct descendant uh, all the way to Mary obviously culminating in Jesus. So, Zerubbabel is in the Davidic line, and so one of the first things we have to notice about this is that the temple, uh, the promise that God gives Zerubbabel is not just about what's happening in that day, but this is already looking ahead to the ultimate impact of who Zerubbabel is, what he's doing, and why he matters to history. As Luke 24, 44-48 says, inevitably, everything ends up being about Jesus. That's the spoiler alert of the Bible. You turn anywhere, it's about Jesus somehow. It may not be the most obvious, it's about Christ. This is absolutely no different. Through David's line, the Davidic king, through Zerubbabel now, and his leadership, something will happen. God has chosen them to be something and someone. They were rebuilding the temple, is the whole point of Haggai. As I mentioned before, the temple was not only the place to where they worship God and heaven and earth meet. It was obviously the very center of Jewish life. We see the implication. Through Jerubbabel, through keeping his people faithful, through him leading his people to rebuild the temple, it would bring about the reign of Christ. And you may be going, well, that's cool, but I'm no Davidic descendant. Well, a passage that's hopefully very familiar to us is the fact, all through the New Testament, is that we, the church, are also chosen by God. We, the church, the citizens of the heavenly kingdom on earth, are God's people. And the same expectations apply. Something that hopefully is very familiar to us, 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, 9 through 10 Peter writes, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, he's talking to New Testament Christians here, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you, Peter reminds us, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Hopefully this is the most obvious point, the fact that God chose people to work through. He chose Reuben, he chose the people of Israel, and now that choosing extends to all Christians to the church in particular, to the inhabitants of the kingdom of God, tasked with spreading the kingdom all around the world. Those are the people to whom these choices matter, or rather put, these are the people whose choices matter. And can God work through people who don't choose to necessarily obey? Yes, but I would much rather be the person God's works through rather than in spite of. I would much rather be a king that was used to spread the kingdom as opposed to having it spread through me or instead of me. This may seem obvious, but this is the first and foremost foundational thing is that your choices, our choices, your choice as a Christian, our choices as a church, your choices as a married couple, or as a family, or as um, a brother, or a sister, or a son, or a daughter, your choices as a follower of Christ matter because you are a chosen people. You, we are a chosen priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation in the New Testament. Whose choices matter? In Haggai specifically, it was Erubah leading his people. And that translates directly now to whose choices matter today? Those who follow Jesus Christ. This may seem obvious, but if you don't get this and not only say, yeah, that's true, but believe it, that your choices matter, not much else will. We being the new temple of God what we do what we don't do our priorities our calling matters. God doesn't send a prophet every 400 years to us because he sent Jesus Christ being the ultimate sign and gave us scripture recounting the prophecies of history our choices matter Now, that obviously begs the question, why? Why do our choices matter? If God has chosen us for whatever reason, why do our choices matter? And finally, what motivates those choices coming up next? And Haggai, why do they matter? He's talking about bringing about Jesus Christ. He's talking about bringing about the ultimate temple. He's talking about bringing salvation. He's talking about bringing the light to the darkness. He's talking about these people's places in history, in a sense, to continue to spread the kingdom of God at their appropriate time and place. So what choices matter when it comes to that end? well let's just review some of the things we've talked about why would temple care from our first sermon matter why would taking care of yourself as a holistic human being made in the image of God matter why would taking care of the church and taking care of each other as a communal temple why would that matter The very essence of community and fellowship. It's the very essence of love. It's the very essence of self-sacrifice. It's the very essence of what makes the church different from a social club or a social structure and the fact that we believe in Jesus, therefore, we act this way. What other choices matter? Well, how about changing our expectations from the second sermon? Changing our expectations from maybe what we want or what we expect into realizing what's around us, being present and doing what we can. Maybe we're not happy with where things are at church, in our lives, wherever things are. Maybe our expectations need to change, not in denial of what's around us, but looking at them from a different perspective. So yes, we can't do this at church, but what can we do? Yes, we can't have the same relationships we used to at the moment, but what relationships can we have? Yes, we can't do this particular ministry or this particular outreach, but what can we do? Yes, the temple isn't like it was before, but God says to us as well as the people of Zerubbabel's day, fear not, I am with you. What is is in front of us? What can we influence? What is influenced by us taking care of our temple? Ourselves, our church, each other. What other choices matter? Maybe to obey from last week. That would be an obvious one. But not obey even the big stuff. (laughs) Whatever you define as the big stuff. How can we obey in faith and in love minute by minute What do we need to obey that then impacts our expectations, that impacts how we care for ourselves and each other? Since church, brothers and sisters, what choices, every choice matters because it impacts who we are. It impacts our walk with God. It impacts what kind of church we are. It impacts the kingdom. Zerubbabel's day, they made a choice to focus on their houses. Is it bad to care about your house? Absolutely not. Is it bad to have a nice house? Absolutely not. Anything at the expense of God is. And maybe you don't think we're that bad, but what is? I asked last week, what is hard about obedience? What is hard about walking in faith? What gets in the way of our relationship with God? That choice. That choice matters. Why our choices matter? Every choice impacts one another, and as we learned in the last series in September, God always had chosen, from Genesis 1, and does choose humans to work in and through in his world through faithfulness and obedience. Every choice we make, indeed every choice, maybe a lesser degree, for instance, I don't know how much choosing to have ice cream tonight versus something else impacts immediately. Maybe choose it every day. Every choice impacts our obedience and every choice impacts our obedience and every choice impacts how God can work through us. I've preached here before that there's no such thing as secular versus sacred. There's no division. Especially in life. Especially in the life of a Christian. There is no God time versus not. You are a temple of God as we are the temple of God. You are the space. We are the space where God, space and human space overlaps and interlocks, except it is through our choices that God lets us decide to an extent, to the degree. And God will choose and will choose always to work through those who choose to work for Him. What choices do we need elevate in our lives, and what choices do we need to make to indeed live lives of faithfulness and obedience? Finally, what motivates those choices? It may be an obvious one that might say love. Well, actually, this is what I think is first. Because I can say I love you, except that if I don't believe, you know, I don't mean it, and you don't believe it, then it doesn't mean much, does it? Why truth has to be what motivates our choices? Why does truth have to be what motivates the Christian life? Why does truth have to be the thing which motivated Zerubbabel and his people, and now motivates the New Testament church? Look back again, and I don't think I have it up here again, but look back again at the text. I am about to shake the heavens and the earth, says the Lord, to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kings and the nations. I am about to take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, make you a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. If that's true, it ought to impact Zerubbabel. <laughs> if that's true, it ought to impact his people. The thing is, there is much that we take for granted which is true, which ought to impact us every day. (laughs) We talk of the story of the gospel, about how Jesus Christ came died for you, rose again, so that you may be cleansed, that you may, your sins are forgiven. Has it become academic to us? Does it ever get to the point where we go, oh yeah, I know that. Now let's get into some meaty stuff in Scripture. That is the meat! If that's not true, nothing else matters. The question is, how does that impact you? Does it really impact you? Does it impact your day? Does it impact your night? Does it impact your choices? Does it impact... Still, every single day, the fact that that's true—the fact that God has done this for you, that God has come down to make you like Him—how does that impact you? Because it's true. How does that impact get manifested in your choices? How does that? How does that truth? Be, how is it lived out every single day? Because it ought to. This is not just a guidebook on how to become, you know, how to be saved, or a rule book on what to do and not to do. This is the story of truth, of God sacrificing nearly everything, and everything in here, every, every letter, every jot and tittle, ought to impact us, because it's true. Because of what is between these two covers, brothers and sisters, What is different about you? Not just, and here I'm about to do it, not just the fact that, yes, Jesus cleansed my, my sins, and yes, I'm going to heaven, and yes, how does it impact you tonight? How does it impact you tomorrow morning at work? How does it impact you when you're alone? How does it impact you with your friends? How does it impact you at Walmart? How does it impact, how does it impact every single choice you make? Because it ought to. It must, because it's true. Zerubbabel and Israel was reminded of the fact, the truth, that they were neglecting God's temple and the implications, and they went, ha, and they got to work. They were reminded that God was with them even if their expectations weren't met. They were reminded that obedience is key and not just compliance, but true, loving obedience. And they were reminded that God is not done with them yet, that through their actions and through their temple and through their leader, God would bring out the ultimate kingdom. All that impacts the people who Haggai prophesied to. And we know from history the answer. They built the temple. And the post-exilic Israel never had problems with idolatry again. They had problems with other things. But never idolatry. That would send them into exile. When we think about truth, I'm reminded of 1 John 1 through 10, which I would just like to read. to the first century church. What we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. We claim we have not sinned to make him out to be a liar and the word is not in us. What is John describing here? He's describing a life that is completely and utterly and holistically impacted by the truth that Jesus came, was real, and died, and rose, impacted by the truth of the gospel. There are many other passages that we could turn to, but this is the one, this is my one of my favorites. I say that about a lot of passages, but still. Truth of Christ being the walking talking temple that through his blood through his sacrifice, through his ministry has now given that task to us that truth must impact us, impact our choices because we are the people through whom it most matters, the people who believe and who are called and who are expected to be the people through whom God builds his kingdom. So what choices come to mind for you? What choices come to mind for you as people who are called and as people who to whom this applies as the temple of God what choices you need to refresh in your heart to matter what choices need to be affected more or less I'm not just talking in a dour very personal way this is this word again Mark Applicable? Yeah? Sure. See, that's what gets me. A noise won't get me. I'm going to stumble over my own vocab here. How does this matter in our congregation? What choices do we need to make in order to be <laughs> more or less faithful and obedient? What stumbling blocks do we put in our own way? How do we do this at church? How do we do this at home? How do we do this... Those questions I can't answer for you, but you can. I pray that we take the lesson of Haggai, that choices matter. And here's the bigger picture of actually why I chose this, and I didn't actually lay this out in the beginning. Maybe I should have. This time has been a very easy time to slide into an action, an apathy. In fact, one of the polls that we put up here on the board actually had apathy, apathetic, you know, kind of feeling lost. As a side effect of COVID. And so I've been asked by several people actually so, how do we break out of apathy? How do we break out of a rut? How do we break out of, of, of the doldrums of spirituality? And it may seem maybe obvious, but it begins here. Just like everything else when it comes to our relationship with God. Realizing that if you are a follower of Jesus, you and the choices you make matter. The choices that you make matter because they will either lead to faithfulness or to obedience or not. And through that, will God build his kingdom. Or not. Everything begins with first what God has done. But everything then begins with your choice about whether to follow Jesus or not, about whether to do the simple but yet difficult tasks, relationship building with God, reading our Bibles, praying, meditating on His Word, Acting like you actually are talking to a person and not just a book. Acting like what God has done in this book is true. Believing it. We want to break out of a spiritual apathetic rut. It begins with our choices. And not just the spiritual apathetic rut, but our spot in the kingdom. The book of Haggai challenges us to remember that choices matter and that God is waiting for us to viscerally and obviously and intentionally choose Him, His Son, and His kingdom in every way in our life. Making Christ the walking, talking temple the center of our lives that impacts everything. The question of Haggai is the same as us, same for us. What will we choose? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the wealth of knowledge, but not just knowledge that we can put in our heads and learn from and nod and go, yes, 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 indeed. But for the knowledge that I pray through meditation, through prayer, in your power, through preaching, transforms into conviction and transforms into action and transforms into kingdom building and transforms into your people being and doing kingdom work as kingdom people who choose you in every aspect. Help us to take these lessons from Haggai and from all of your scripture to heart. Help us to realize that every choice we make has an opportunity to impact who we are and your kingdom, and that you can use even the smallest choices, even the most insignificant of choices to do great things as you remind the world and principalities and powers that they do not have ultimate authority, you do, and that your church is the modern-day signet ring, given authority to preach who you are, to live under your power and spirit and be the light and salt of the world that the kingdom may grow. Help us to be, as I pray always, the church that we can be and need to be and must be in you. You pray these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.